0: Welcome to Catsteen Witchcraft. My name is Fauna, and I am your host. This is a witchy podcast for those who are Wiccan, witches, and everything in between. Don't forget to follow the social media pages for the podcast at Catsteen Witchcraft on Instagram, Catsteen Witch on Twitter, and Catsteen Witchcraft Podcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the episode. Hello everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 62 and today's topic is necromancy. The guest that I have going over today's topic is a friend of mine. And before we get into this though, I'm going to go over the rune of the day. Today's rune is Nauthees and that means need or necessity. On page 104 of Taking Up the Runes, it says Nauthees, the N rune is called in Old English need, N-Y-D, need or distress, and in Old Norse, her, whose meaning is the same, with an added implication of constraint. While the Anglo-Saxon version does not deny the distressfulness of need, it suggests that its constraints have something to teach those who understand them. This is not the meek acceptance of sorrow taught by Christianity. Instead, it counsels the sufferer to let himself be toughened by adversity. Now, these is the thesis and antithesis whose resistance to each other shapes the fate of the world. It is both trouble and deliverance. It is the friction that produces the need fire and powerful rune for protection. The action implied by these may be used to counter the effects of fate. The concept of need in this rune seems to resemble the Greek concept of anaki, necessity. As involves concept of constraint and narrowing, it is the factors in life that cannot be escaped that define the kinds of actions that can take place. The rune can indicate problems that weigh on the spirit, frustrations, Blocks, but also constraints that can become helpful if properly used. The problem may be an opportunity for change and growth if properly approached. The need may also be for action. In the book, A Little Bit of Runes, the rune means a cause for celebration, self-reliance, success through our own efforts, acknowledging and meeting our own needs, the kindling of passion, developing love in a difficult situation. And the upside down or reverse meaning is meeting the needs of others at the expense of our own, codependency, overpossessiveness by others. So now that I got that out of the way, I feel like I can talk a little bit more about today's episode. Like I said, today's topic is necromancy, and it is being explained to us by a friend of mine named Saskia. So let's get into today's episode. Okay, everybody. Today we have, like I mentioned, we have a guest, and her name is Saskia. And like I said, we are going to be talking about necromancy today, and she is today's uh, expert. I guess, introduce yourself, Saskia.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. And um, I, I don't feel like I'm quite an expert. I know, research. I was trying to think
0: of a good word. You are my <laughs> expert on the topic.
1: <laughs> it's certainly a topic of interest and something yeah. I've been studying more seriously yeah. for a number of years, a handful of years now. Yep. Um, so you're it,
0: well-versed in it.
1: You could say that. You could okay. say that. But always learning. And what yeah. I feel fascinating not just on the human aspect of it, where um, this is something everyone's interested in, yeah, we either fear death or we have this yearning to understand it, and there's no way to to do that. there's no scientific way to actually find out what happens yeah. after we leave our physical body. Mm-hmm. um you know, you can't survey the dead yep. uh, and <laughs> query the data, so even things like near death experience um it's really uh it's it's difficult to kind of catalog what really happens cuz then people can argue that it's just your your brain your neurons like firing at the last moment mm-hmm. and then people who who awaken or come back perhaps falsely believe they've had this experience but how do we prove it you just can't yeah. so it's something i've been really interested in a very long time and then my spiritual practice ties into it mm-hmm. um that you know you may have picked up on it but everything i believe in everything i practice
2: mm-hmm.
1: is science based yep and i say that because scientifically speaking everything is energy yeah and there's you can't argue that point mm-hmm. you can take anything take anything take a the you know piece of wood next to you and put a a piece of tissue and mm-hmm. go down to the microscopic level and unless you're an expert in microbiology yeah Um,
3: micro something
1: down to the micro level um what we see are just a bunch of cells being held together vibrating next to each other but can you really tell one from the other yep when you pan out you see it's a desk or you know a a fingerprint or 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 something Mm -hmm. we're all connected energetically the planet stands that. um there's, there's really, even, um, what is it, Einstein has that quote of, um, there's no, you can't create or destroy energy. It just gets changed, mm-hmm. transferred. So from a spiritual standpoint, that I, I strongly believe in that. Nothing I believe in or practice is baseless. Yeah. But to that, like I said, how, how do we really know for sure? Yeah. So everything I've been working on is really my own experience. Um, I work mostly with my personal ancestors, mm-hmm. um, and so what, what I'd like to cover today, um, you know, high level, what people can do in their mm-hmm. own practice um, without being scared about it. Yeah. The easiest way to get into that is building your own ancestral altar, which mm-hmm. we'll cover, um, but I'll get into a little bit of the history, religious and social aspects, and how we came to believe the things we believe.
0: Yeah.
3: And
1: Um, depending on our our different backgrounds, why certain things are okay and certain things are not okay. Um, And then finding what's right for you Mm -hmm. uh, to to dive into this subject. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Oh, and I also uh, have some recipes. Um, There's incense Mm -hmm. that we can create to honor our dead. This is something that I use when I'm working with my ancestors. Um, I also have a protection oil, something people can wear if they're worried about going to a cemetery or something like that, they can put
0: this oil on. And yeah, so, um, so I guess I think we'll get- I actually have an incense from a few years ago that I haven't used. From I think class I, taught? I can't remember. I, I think there's like Star Anise or something in yep. it. It was either the yep. oil or the incense or something that I did with you or we did with you a couple years back now. It's, it seems so long with COVID and everything, it throws everything mm-hmm. off. And everything but uh yeah so while we get into that um how did you get into necro- uh and how'd you get into your kind of aspect of maybe spirituality and how did it turn into necromancy and then just kind of we can go from there into what necromancy is
1: I think and a lot of people who are on this path probably always had even as as children you know something that we felt was mm, bigger than us yes and um, so even as a child, I would, my mother would get mad at me. I would just go off into the woods and, and literally talk to trees. And I can remember having conversations with them and it's a childhood memory. So I don't remember the conversation. Yeah. I remember that it was real communication mm-hmm. that I was having. And then not intentionally, but we we're kind of taught out of that. Yeah. But there is this unconscious desire within us to pursue that for most of us, mm-hmm. um, at least for most of us who are, are on this path. And, um, and then I met our high priestess, kind of by accident, in a way. And that really opened the gate for me in a lot of things, Um, things that I had already been practicing, or it was like the pieces of the puzzle finally fit together. And Mm -hmm. essentially, it's Wicca. Yeah. Um, And and learning more about that. And then as far as necromancy, um, again, that's just something that I really, and not, not in a morbid or like, I'm just trying to be weird and dark. Yeah. Kind of way. Something that I've really always had an interest in. Mm-hmm. Um, even back in like my days of Christianity, you know, mm-hmm. why do we feel the way we do about death? Why do we celebrate the birth of a child so much
3: mm-hmm.
1: and not the, the, we celebrate coming into this world. Yeah. And we fear and we don't even talk about our exit from yeah. this world.
0: And even is, then we sell with Christianity, it's celebrating the resurrection, not necessarily the death incoming to the resurrection. Well,
1: and that's an interesting point because one of the discussion topics is our belief in what happens after we leave our physical bodies. A lot of the monotheistic beliefs, this is it, like one and done. Yeah. And depending on how you lived your life determines your location, everlasting existence, yeah. correct? Um, but then there's the theory of reincarnation. Mm -hmm. and um it's even in the bible Mm -hmm. but you know jesus was supposedly the only one who did that but so you know it's it's just an interesting idea behind how it comes about and and i could go down this path of different religions and um i don't want to get all um dark about it but um, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways the idea of hell not that i mean the romans had an idea of 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 a hell Mm -hmm and greek mythology did well even
0: norse mythology had their own version of it but it's all slightly different but there's something there in multiple traditions and stuff when it comes to the afterlife
1: right um but that in a way was kind of how they would control people Mm -hmm. um you know do do this yeah so that you don't go to let's just say hell yeah bad place Um, whatever it was right right um but in my experience, and in a lot of my readings on this this topic, um, again, we're all energy. So there is such a thing as a higher consciousness, a higher being mm-hmm. that we're part of. Um, some people call it a collective consciousness.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And when we, when our physical bodies can no longer support our consciousness, it it goes back into that realm. Yeah. Um, now, some people think that reincarnation is immediate, and you come right back. Other people think you maybe take thousands of years before you reincarnate. Uh, I'm also a believer in string theory mm-hmm. and the universe, which just briefly, if you subscribe to the Big Bang theory, mm-hmm. there was a boom, and ever since then, the universe has been expanding. Yeah. Also in that time, little pockets and holes were created, those are also expanding. I do believe that there are different universes and we're somehow connected. And as the universe is expanding, these strings, these holes are also expanding.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So when we reincarnate, is it going to be on this earth in in a human body? Uh, Maybe not. But again, how do we know? Yeah. Um, What necromancy is not. Yes. Is you will not be raising an army of the dead for world domination. (laughs) (laughs) just want to put that up front <laughs> um you yeah first of all it's it's physically impossible as yeah. far as we know um but it's also just rude and yeah. only work in world of warcraft or hollywood yeah and I guarantee if you google the word that's what you're going to get like mm-hmm. world of war characters horror movies or or like a romantic novel with vampires yeah <laughs> so so the term itself um kind of gives off the wrong idea. Um, and actually, your your podcast on divination, the definition you give is very similar to the definition of, of necromancy. It's the, um, according to Webster,
3: mm-hmm. the
1: conjugation of the spirits of the dead for purposes of magically revealing the future or influencing the course of events. Mm-hmm. It's magic or sorcery. And this can be extended into pretty much any form of magic yeah. because we're working with the unseen realm. Whenever we do, let's say, sympathetic magic or petition magic, we're, we're working with the energies of the universe, which again, we're all connected. It encompasses the unseen realm. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, anytime we meditate or pray or, or do shamanic journeying, um, Mm -hmm. in essence, we could be leaving our body or in prayer, we're communicating with, um, maybe an ascended master that could be jesus buddha um, some people view mahatma gandhi as an ascended master um, there's a number of names for the dead mm-hmm. um, mighty dead the mighty or the hidden company the ancient ones or the ascended masters so however you want to label it I, I i strongly feel any form of magic you're doing is is essentially performing necromancy yeah um, I, I really like Christopher Penzack's definition of it. It says the name for, I'm paraphrasing, but the name for magic with the dead, technically necromancy means divination. Mm-hmm. With the dead, so any communication with the dead is necromancy. And I feel like any magic we do is communication with the dead or the yeah. unseen or the, the um, ascended masters. Yeah. Because um, that's what we're tapping into.
0: Mm-hmm. When we're trying to perform magic. We're tapping into that energy. But so many people work with different energies, too. If it's spirits or elements, elementals, gods, ancestors. Right. Right. And all of that is um, the unseen realm, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which, um, in in my opinion, is uh, maybe if you're working with like the Fae, I don't know if I'd necessarily consider it that. Yeah. But but most often, again, we do um, like petition magic where we're asking for something you're you're tapping into the other side for for help, for assistance with whatever it is you're trying to acquire or achieve. But to go back to kind of the history behind it, we've been honoring our dead as far back as um, we can really start accounting for um, human history. Yeah. Well, there's the Bible, the Witch of Endor, which I think a lot of people may already know about, where, um, Saul yeah a female sorcerer was visited by Saul first king of Israel to try to raise the um body of but it's in it's in the bible
0: <laughs> yeah but even from what we found from like art or sculptures and stuff or how old burials were performed like we could very easily tell through historical contexts and discoveries of artifacts that people have been honoring the dead and may or may not have been communicating with them as quickly as they came and gone or maybe in more like um, classical times or pre-classical and stuff. But we know that at least people have been honoring their dead for a very long time and they probably definitely had their own opinions on what happened as well.
1: Right. So that's, it's, we, we really don't have much, um, you know, we, we have discovered, well, we, there was a a burial site of two women in the um, Trevik, I might be saying it wrong, the islands of Brittany, France, that is dated back 6,500 years ago, or somewhere around that time, Mm -hmm. which massively predates the Egyptian pharaohs, Mm -hmm. who we kind of look at as, um, you know, mummification, really honoring their dead. Um, And these women were buried with shells, they were placed delicately in the, in the gravesite, there's boar and antlers and and all kinds of seashells and plant life um and these these antlers that are covering over them to kind of preserve the bodies so that wasn't haphazard like that was intentional Mm -hmm. so um you know and that was let's see the pharaohs ruled around 3000 bce Mm -hmm. um so this predates that by a lot so for millennia we've been on why i don't know but to this day we still feel this need to be respectful, to have a burial for someone um, and to uh, honor their life. Mm -hmm. Um, The first mummy, there's some mummification. It's still in Egypt, but uh, the Turin Museum has a mummy that dates back uh, 3,700. So we can jump ahead to the idea of communicating Mm -hmm. with the dead, and that's say in the 17th century was when it was really kind of being turned into like black magic Mm -hmm. Um, before that witches and sorcerers and um, people who had this gift i think everyone's capable of it but some people are just a little more attuned yeah um, or or they were just a practitioner and in their lack of a better word their village Mm -hmm. They would be the ones who would be an advisor, you know, even dating back to the Incan empire, which was more 13th century, 13th or 15th century, uh, around the time of the conquistadors. They also would mummify their dead and they would use these. It was like their emperors they would mummify. And they would consult these mummified bodies for any sort of um, high level decisions that needed to be made, like a council almost, and they would consult the mummified bodies of their emperors. But by the 17th century, again, Christianity, it had really taken a hold uh, strongly by this point. And it was mostly men Mm -hmm. who would do any of this type of work, if at all, Mm -hmm. because women just weren't educated. They weren't educated back then. And you needed to be able to read, uh, probably in Latin, and then write and recite. Um, but they did believe that that was conjuring the dead and making them perform requests, so it was frowned upon it was not accepted. Then comes um about the nineteenth century in the nineteenth century we have in the u s was the civil war and uh shortly before that, the fox sisters they had they became famous for they they were actually like the first celebrity mediums they became famous for the house that they lived in, there was uh, buried, a buried, a peddler who was murdered and buried under the house. And they would communicate with his rapping, like the knocking on the wood.
3: Mm-hmm. So they'd
1: ask questions and, and the knocking would be in response.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, years later, one of the sisters was mad at the other sister and um, kind of recounted and, and went public that it was all a sham. Yeah. Later wrote a letter apologizing, saying that wasn't the case. Um,
0: I think I recently watched a video on the sisters and I heard that it was a scam, but like, there's so many different things that you can't prove. And even if someone was actively doing something like even today, when it comes to people who do readings of any sort, it's that credibility from people who don't experience something similar or might not have a connection Mm -hmm. or different things. It's very hard to prove because there is no scientific for this stuff. It's more Mm -hmm personal experiences and then those feeding off of whatever information. And then if it matches, it matches kind of thing. So if it's more of a communicative sort of thing.
1: Well, and that's exactly what happened because you had the civil war shortly after. So the, the Fox sisters became well-known in 1848. The civil war kicks off in um, 1861 and that lasted for four years. So there were 620,000 Men and boys who died in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. This idea of being able to communicate with the dead really took off, but you did. You had a lot of con artists Mm -hmm. try to profit off of this. Um, It was new, and I think people were really desperate to talk with a loved one if it looked like this could be the answer. Even um, Abraham Lincoln and Mary Todd Lincoln, their son died of a fever. And they hosted seances in the Red Room of the White House. Yep. for that purpose. Yeah, I've heard of um, that. But um, but then Houdini, who was a genius, he was able to disprove every single medium he went to. Because in a way, he was a con artist himself. Yeah. Um, so he knew the tricks. And and he, for his entire life, I think it was to communicate with his mother,
3: mm-hmm.
1: tried to find someone who could legitimately do what they say they could do. Yeah. And he never met that person. Yeah. So I believe there are people like that, a lot of people will take advantage because, again, how do we prove it? Yeah. Um, and some artists are just really good.
0: And um, especially I, in I, that time, people were so desperate for that communication because if it was right after the Civil War or right after World War I, the occultism really took hold in the late 19th century and early 20th century, where a lot of the things that even were involved in were really sparked or reemerged um, into the public eye, I guess, around those time periods.
1: Right. Right, um and so it kind of um I't say fizzled out, but um I think when it started to be seen as a scam,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, a lot of people lost credibility, even if they were good, and you know, today you hear of people who are mediums and they work with the police, but for for some of them, the police actually start questioning them because they know so much about a case mm-hmm. that it almost looks like, well, how did you know where the body was was hidden yeah um. So, it's still, I think, a, a pretty rough road for people who do naturally have that, that connection. But moving on to different burial styles, um, again, social or religious beliefs behind it, we have the idea of a burial versus like a cremation mm-hmm. and what some people think is appropriate for that and why. Um, Hinduism does cremation,
3: mm-hmm.
1: they believe your body is a prison. So, the faster you can get out of the body, the faster you are on your way to being just your soul self. Now Islam is the opposite, where the soul will wander the earth for 40 days and you don't want to destroy the body that it comes in. So they bury it. Um, then there's Zoroastrian, who it's a it's a Persian um, religion,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: they have what's called lay out the dead or Towers of Silence. I really I find this one really fascinating. They believe the elements are pure. So earth, fire, water, air. Um, there's not a lot you can do with air to not be in contact with it. but if the elements are pure, your body is impure so they don't do anything. They don't burn it. they don't bury it, water or earth. And so what do they do? They have these towers where they lay the bodies out and eventually just carry in animals. You know, birds will come in. Take care of it, so natural just decompos- decomposing, or or animals mm-hmm. that will come in, you know, um, partake of the the bodies. Yeah, um, and that is similar to the Tibetan have sky burial. Um, they either place the corpse on a mountaintop to decompose while exposed to the elements, um, and similarly, they are eaten by scavenging animals. Um, but you know, it's that is more practicality mm-hmm. because they you know, they're up in the Tibetan mountains, they don't have enough wood to burn. Yeah. They don't really have it's it's rocky, so you can't dig deeply enough. Um so it whether religious or practical, there's just a number of different ways that people will dispose of the body afterwards. Mm-hmm. But then what is life after death? Yeah. You have the okay. different different religions who let me Christianity and Judaism, of course, they have heaven.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Zoroastrianism, they have what's called paradise. Um, That's also the afterlife, which was kind of adopted um, by the Jews. Islam is paradise as well. Hinduism is Moksha. Buddhism is Nirvana, you know, And, and so all of these essentially are this idea of, if you live a good pure life, you'll be rewarded in the afterlife. But then with Buddhism, there's also the idea and some other beliefs that you're going to be reincarnated later on. Yeah. That also brings up the issue of karma. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You'll never, so I, I just not disagree, but Buddhists believe that you could reincarnate to like a worm or a And I just don't, I I don't think that again, because if we're here in a human body, having a human experience, why would our next life be something less? Yeah. Aren't we continually evolving even on yeah. a spiritual level as, yeah. as non-physical beings?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and to that, when we die, and I'm going to get into this when working with ancestors, um, we're still learning yeah. on the other side. So you, if you have someone who just passed over, they don't suddenly know all of the answers to the universe um, because they're in this new place that maybe we've always been, but to them it's still new and they're still learning and they're getting... Mm-hmm. Accustomed to being in the non-physical. All right. So I have this one incense. It's not the one that we made, but this is this is an incense you can create. Very simple um, ingredients. Nothing that's like too far out there. This difficult to get. Um, But I always recommend cleansing even the jar you're going to put it in. Yep. Uh, You sage or I. I really prefer Palo Santo. Mm you know, caution to your listeners, make sure you get it ethically sourced, the Palo Santo. It's sacred mm-hmm. to the Americas yep. and it should never be cut. They shouldn't cut the tree down. It's taken from branches that have fallen
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it's it's turned into, a, and it should, if you're, if you're purchasing it somewhere, it should have on there say that it was like ethically sourced. My little PSA for that. Hmm. Um, okay, so this one is one part myrrh And you can use either a resin or if you only have stick incense for these, Um, sometimes I'll just shave it off of the stick. Even if the the wood it's on breaks a little bit, that's okay. Um, But just kind of shave the powder off of it into the jar after you've cleansed it with smoke. Uh, So one part myrrh, two parts mugwort, one part wormwood, one part dandelion root, one part mullein leaf. That one I did have to order online. And one part patchouli leaf. Another thought: if it's hard for you to find it just as an herb, buy a tea. You can buy yeah, mullein leaf. I've gotten dandelion root. Yeah, exactly. You can you can purchase these in that way too, and they work just as fine. And then just uh, infuse it with your own energy and intention. You know, you're using this as an incense to honor the dead, so you can say a blessing over it uh, with that intention and charge it by the moon or the sunlight, whichever you prefer but then I would keep it out of the sun for long-term. Yeah. Uh, And then when I do some ancestral work, I don't use, I don't have this incense. I had another one that I created, but yeah, I just put it in a a little fireproof bowl and a charcoal and I I let it burn. And then I, I typically wind up meditating with my journal. When we get, well, I might as well just jump into altars and shrines. So for my practice, typically what I'll do is I may have a question or a situation or or something that I just need higher level guidance on. Now, for me, again, I, I mostly work with my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, her best friend passed a couple of years after she did. And her best friend was like another mother to me. So the, the two of them, I have their pictures of. ways you can create the altars for, um, for your ancestors is by having pictures. Yep. That's a really good way to do it because it's a visual for you to focus on their energy. Yeah. Um, you know, it brings back the feelings you had for them. Yep. Um, also, anything that was theirs, like jewelry. If you have a ring or a bracelet, you could even put it on and wear it, or, or you know, a piece of clothing, a scarf or something. Something like to for. feel
0: connected.
1: Exactly. Um, so something like that I'll have on the altar as well. And... Um,
0: what about those who want to work with people that are further back a lot more people even though they might want to communicate just like i feel like a lot of people they just want to talk and if they get a response or not is debatable on the situation Um, but a lot of people it sounds like they want to communicate with people who are even older is there a suggestion that you found through your research or possible practice that you've either tapped into people who are older than immediate grandparents or great-grandparents that you still might have items of theirs or photographs? Because photographs has only been around for maybe less than 200 years, I think, but early 1800. So there's not a lot when it comes to prior to that.
1: Right, um, so yeah, you certainly can. The way I, to simply put it, The unseen world, and especially when you're working with ancestors, think of it just like your physical world. If you're meeting someone for the first time, it may be awkward and you you may not want to dive into like really serious topics. And so I think if you if you know the person who you are trying to communicate with, that's a good way to start, because then you might know their name. um, You might know a little bit about them and you could probably need to back up and talk about creating sacred space before the communication part.
0: Yeah, that's okay. I've uh, talked about things like that before and just re- maybe reference it and everything um, in the steps that you think would be appropriate for people to take.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so let's, let's just go back because building your ancestral altar doesn't need anything fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could have pictures of them, um, relics. Technically a relic is a preserved remain, um, but it really could be any item by the the departed, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, jewelry, clothing, anything like that. If you really, if you build an ancestral altar, I really advise you to stick with it. It's kind of like, again, if you make a connection with your grandmother and then you suddenly disappear, like it's gonna kind of damage that relationship.
0: Yeah, it's so, just like if they were alive, you still need to continue that communication, or at least regular visits, or lighting a candle, that's, or like giving a little offering. Of
1: Right. And especially if you intend for them to help you. Um, keeping that communication really it just think of fostering a healthy relationship. Um, so offerings are are an excellent idea. I like to keep a glass of clear water in, in a in just a clear glass. If you do that though, again, you wouldn't you would change the water for the person. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't like leave the same glass of water out for them every single day. You would mm-hmm. you would want to change it and freshen it up. Flowers. Are really great especially if they had a flower that they really liked or any any plant Um, some people put starchy foods or candy Um, again if you know the person and you know what they liked that's a great way to i'm doing air quotes like feed them Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, if they liked coffee caffeine you know that's great Um, if they had a particular liquor they liked or some people even put cigarettes or cigars or Mm -hmm but I definitely use incense whenever I'm working with them. But you could even just light a candle, which is another thing I recommend and light some incense. And even if it's just saying hello, saying good morning, lighting some incense, burning a tea light, um, you're making that connection. And it's really important to do that every day because you're gonna continue to foster that relationship. And in a way you're caring for them in the physical realm. Here's um, so one of the books I recommend it's Honoring Your Ancestors, a Guide to Ancestral Veneration, and it's by uh, Mallory. I'm gonna say Vaudois. It looks French. It's V is in Victor, A-U, D is in David, O I-S-E. It's a really great book. It's very easy, and that's everything she talks about um, is how to venerate and honor your ancestors. So I'm just going to read this little paragraph out of her book that resonates with me. And I think it's, it's a wonderful way to look at creating your ancestral altar. Uh, she writes, I love seeing other people's altars. And I find it um, the practice of building altars is important because magical exercises that are purely mental tend to garner purely mental results. Mm-hmm. That is, if your ancestor veneration practice only consists of thinking, it may influence the type of thoughts you have but you probably won't see changes in your material circumstances. Yeah, When your practice is grounded in the material world through a physical altar, your ancestors have greater influence on the practical matters of day-to-day life.
0: Yeah. Would you say that would tie into any sort of magic in general? Because a lot of this might remind people of, and what popped in my head is the idea of a lot of people like to rely on law of attraction for their what they call manifestations or if they consider their manifestations or their spells. Do you feel like lack of having some sort of physical aspect will still affect the results essentially? Even if it's very simple, as simple as lighting a candle and leaving a cup of coffee.
1: Absolutely. I, I a thousand percent believe that if you want to get a new job, you can do magic. Mm-hmm. But if you're not out there, if you're not updating your resume or going onto job sites, nothing will happen. Yep. Uh, or if you're very fortunate, maybe somebody reaches out. But you need to do the you need to do the work in the physical world, regardless.
0: So, so it's of, no different with necromancy as you would do with a normal spell or a set of not magic. at all.
1: No, okay. I mean there are times that I've. So my, my mother's with me all the time. Yeah. All the time. But that would be a
0: naturally strong connection because it's your mother and you guys are close and stuff like that.
1: That's also why, and this is what I'm getting at with the ancestral altars. It's a really great way to start a practice if you are seriously interested in necromancy. If you're not and you just want to work with spirit, Mm -hmm. working with your ancestors is is a really great way to do it. And I also want to, um, Christopher Penzak has a book called The Mighty Dead. And I want to point out, he defines different types of ancestors, which I think is wonderful, because it's not just our blood ancestors. Yeah. For me, I think for anyone, really, if you start with your ancestors, it's safe and it's it's a really good way to begin. I wouldn't recommend like an angry uncle who you always fought with. Yeah. Like the first person. But, you know, someone who um, you felt a, a great connection with and a love for in the earthly realm is a wonderful place to start. And it can be really simple. Like we said, I would decorate your altar. I, I prefer white mm-hmm. for like the cloth, but on when I do black. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I have white. I do you have candles? I have crystals up there. It is great if you know the person and what they liked, but if not, there are some basic, uh, again, just lighting a candle and certain incense like frankincense, myrrh. Those are, are really high vibration yeah. incense. And that's where you can start. I, I'm I'm a feeler. I actually have a friend who sees, so she can see, hear it, or when people's, No, and I I gave up. i figured that's just not my gift. <laughs> yeah. But I've also honed my intuition for what feels correct. So yeah. when I'm working with the altar, I'll go by it some days, and I just feel like some it's it needs to be cleaned. It needs to be changed. They're tired of the layout or something like that, and
0: yeah,
1: I take something away or I'll put something back on it, or even I get the feeling that I need to add something new. And so again, over time, the more you work with this, and because it's ancestral, it's safer, you know, you don't have to worry about like making them mad, and they're gonna like do terrible things to you, which to that just a side note, we'll cover protection, but I do not believe there is an ultimate evil. I think we as humans on this earth do more harm to one another than can be done by any sort of unseen entity. I all, but I do think that we create some pretty bad energy that floats around and we can do things to each other on that level. But what is it? It's a, it's a hermetic principle where there is really no, the, the earth or the universe rather creates a, there's always a balance, but yeah, there's a hermetic principle that basically says that it just, it doesn't logically makes sense for there to be some like ultimate good and ultimate evil yeah
0: everything's a lot more gray it's not the black and white it's not just white magic versus dark magic there's the gray or if you right. consider it even bad is it more baneful
1: yeah i i have actually had attachments from going to graveyards um but and this one i could kind of see it in my mind's eye but it wasn't malicious yeah I think what happened is I forgot to shield myself, and I went into this graveyard. It was my mother's graveyard, mm-hmm. and there's well. And here's the thing about cemeteries: it's really for the living. It's a way for us to honor our dead. Uh, actually, this was early on in my my necro, my neophyte necromancy, and I was just kind of like feeling the waters and and mm-hmm. testing things that I had read and learned. And I had this vivid experience of walking by. It was this uh, just sort of a pillar with a family name on it like an obelisk Mm -hmm. and and I was sort of like putting my feelers out like who can I help Mm -hmm. like who, who wants to talk to me which you know again mistake number one just like opening myself up like that and I walked past this this cemetery and I felt this strong feeling and again in my mind's eye I could see this old lady and she was just sitting by this obelisk knitting and Not in a rude or mean way, but she was just like, keep moving. I'm just gonna I just wanna sit here and knit. Don't don't bother me. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, okay, gotcha. But as far as the attachment that I got, it it didn't come from any one of the dead Mm -hmm. in the cemetery. What when you walk into a cemetery, it's palpable, right? That energy you feel, you feel that respect and you you feel the weight of it. It's a collective area of where people go to grieve and to mourn and that energy sits there. Yep. And depending on how far back the cemetery may go, you have hundreds of years sometimes of this energy building up. So when I went there and I was just like all out open trying to see if I could communicate, I think I just attracted not a malicious entity, But just think of it like that energy that built up that then was kind of like, what's this? I don't think it wanted to be attached to me any more than I wanted it either. But we were now stuck together. And it took a ritual that we had where my high priestess had the furba. It's a Tibetan tool. I I don't know too much about it, so I don't want to misspeak. But she had connected with it. You have to do a lot of work before you can use it. Mm -hmm. And we had a ritual where we were cutting cords. Mm -hmm. And um, she said she could see it. She could just see all of the tentacles. And she spent some time cutting it. And that really helped, but I could still see it. And I think I was doing there's also what's called the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. Mm-hmm. Excellent. It's an excellent ritual. I was doing that as well. And one day it was just gone. Mm-hmm. It was just it was just gone. But that's where um I had this protection oil. I feel like we're all over the place. I had this much more organized before we started and then that's we <laughs>
0: But that's kind of how people's thought processes go. It's not always really streamlined. And and just how we practice too. It's all over the place. We learn the one thing, we go to another thing, and then we learn <laughs> something else. And then we go on a Wikipedia tangent or like a documentary tangent on different things because you hear one thing and then you get interested in that and then you move to the next thing. And then all of a sudden you have all these things. You're like, okay, well, I need to go back to square one. And then right. connects all these A, B, C, and D into one and then all these subcategories. And that's kind mm-hmm. of like how all of our practices are in general.
1: Yeah. So,
0: yeah, while you're thinking, um, I just kind of want to like recap some things too, and maybe you'll get us back on track. So necromancy is the idea of communicating with the dead, essentially, right?
1: Essentially. But again, I think any, I, I personally feel like any form of magic, that's what you're doing.
0: Yeah. So in that case, what... Would essentially people do besides just what they would consider everyday magic to connect? Is it just uses of divination? Is it journaling, dreams? And like you said, it's just you pretty much are using it essentially with most magic anyway. It just depends on what energies you're connecting to, essentially.
1: Right. Um, and that um, actually, you did bring up a good point I wanted to mention, and this has to do with reincarnation. There is a theory also that we die every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another form, again, Buddhist look at there's there's a number of different modalities, I guess you could say of of how they see death and rebirth. And one of them is when we go to sleep and we are reborn in the morning, people with dreams believe that they leave their body, and the dream is actually um, just traveling through the astral plane. I do recommend journaling your dreams if, if you can. I sometimes will. I, I try not to keep my cell phone in my room or any sort of those devices because truly the, the electric field does interfere. Not to go down this rabbit hole, but ghost hunters, they use yep. these devices i am not that familiar with it i don't do ghost hunting but um where it's it's essentially a radio wave that they're trying to connect with that's on what they think is like uh the the ghost level and they can Mm -hmm. talk so again everything science if that's the case all of these devices we have wi-fi all of that i think can also interfere so when i go into ritual Mm -hmm. or 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 circle um to work on my ancestral work i try to leave my phone out of the room Um, I try to turn off devices that may have that kind of energetic interference. Mm
0: -hmm. So I'm just trying to think of what people might have additional questions as well. So a lot of people do specifically, when they think of necromancy, want to specifically work with ancestors. So what do you think would be the best way for people to necessarily work with ancestors off the back? Because it might be different from what they normally do. Maybe they necessarily just work with the elements or just spirit in general, or they might work with deities. Um, Is there anything distinctive that would be different working with ancestors with magic versus working with other unknown or unseen things? Because even with like newer ancestors or within a couple generations, there's still more of a blood connection. And even if you try to reach out older people, is things like divination or automatic different forms with automatic writing and tarot cards or scrying? Or how would people essentially try to connect it? Do they just sit there and wait for a thought to come to their mind? Or would that depend on if someone is attuned to be a medium or they've been working really hard with meditation?
1: Right. So I do believe divination. You are working with um, spirit. You're working with the... It, it's a, To me, it's a form of necromancy because as you are... Tuning the tools, what's really happening is you're working with your higher self. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: But again, there's that collective consciousness. So, as let's say the pendulum, you know, you're getting the yes or no, or even when you pull a tarot card or you throw runes, it's that unseen hand, if you will, that is turning the card over or turning the rune over or directing the direction of the, um, the pendulum. And so, yes, that is also a form of necromancy. And there's a number of of ways that we can look at divination. As far as uh, you could I, I wouldn't consider that ancestral work necessarily.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like that's more tuning into your higher self. Okay. Uh, with divination, but that being said, there are forms of divination that do count in this in this arena. Automatic writing mm-hmm. is one of those um, where you allow messages to flow through you.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you're doing this for somebody else they would have to tune into probably, we can call them like your spirit guides. That's a form of necromancy. Any of the like lithomancy, osteomancy, tassiomancy, the lithomancy is throwing stones, Osteomancy's bone, Tassiomancy's tea or coffee or wine, any beverage that has a sediment. And again, you know, they're all creating, it's like a, a guidebook. It's not yeah. really giving you answers. It's usually, or I heard someone else say, it's like a weather report. Mm-hmm. It's not telling you absolutely this is what it's going to happen, but you might want to bring an umbrella kind of thing. Scrying, that's kind of my, when I have the time, I really prefer scrying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really get into that meditative state and I can feel my ancestors with me. I can feel my mother with me and images can start to appear. Mm -hmm. I recommend having something to write on
2: um, Mm -hmm. in that
1: when you're doing something like that. So to me, yeah, it it is all in line. Uh, Ouija board right there. I mean, people are tapping right into asking someone else to
0: provide answers or give mm-hmm.
1: guidance through the, through the Ouija board.
0: So things to where there's a little more tangible understanding or a visual, because scrying, if you see, you can see something um, with the anything that more has words, like if it's automatic writing or you're using a um, spirit board, if it's Ouija or not. It is, it's
1: someone else, someone else's energy. If you, if you kind of hone this, you can actually hone into, um, you know, people at this point do call it like spirit guides or angels or, you know, ancestors in this case to, I'm doing air quotes again, like provide the answers. Mm-hmm. But if uh, if we can jump to, I pulled up that section in Christopher Penzac's book on the different types of ancestors. I think this is really important too, because it'll speak to a lot of people. We, we automatically think of ancestors as what he calls genetic kin, where it's the flesh and bone. Yep. Russian blood—that's um, you know your DNA line. Yep. Um, but I like this one. There's adopted kin,
3: mm-hmm.
1: so it's your family by choice. Either yeah. whether you were actually
0: adopted. I have family or- who was adopted. My mother was adopted. Her siblings were adopted.
1: So they may not be your um, your genetic kin mm-hmm. ancestors, but they are the adopted kin. Yeah. And you can even work with that line if um, if you feel a strong connection Mm -hmm. with your adopted kin network, let's say Um, you can certainly connect with that on that level. They are your ancestors. Um, He also has land kin. That one, that one we're kind of losing. Um, He lists that as a kin of like an ancestral place. Mm -hmm. So really transient right now. Families don't stay in the same place for very long, Mm -hmm. but land kin he describes as even like the plants and animals of where are from you know the land you are from. In this sense, you could carry a rock or you know some piece of that area with you to always stay connected to your land kin. Um, if you if you want to have that kind of a connection with those ancestors, uh, let's see. He has story kin. Those are professional vocations, arts, your interests. They are, he writes this. They are inspirations to us on our life's
0: path. Idols that, or heroes,
1: right? Um, I think that also encompasses. let me see if it's listed in this. No, that also encompasses like um, if you are interested in um, medicine,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, or or let's just take an obvious one like like physics. Mm-hmm. Um, I said that if Einstein was a physicist, I believe so. Uh, you may want to have an altar to Einstein. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's someone that you want to connect with and work with on that other side and they may be able to help you.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, and when you were saying something about the lands and maybe more cultural based and long term, um, a lot of people are getting into these DNA tests and they want to know where they're, even if it's not necessarily connecting to direct family members, they're more interested into long term history of where the genes essentially come from, and those they're like, oh, if I, they want to work with ancestors of a particular culture, if they want to work with the Vikings or the if they have Hellenistic ancestors or Italian or from South America, um, right. I feel like a lot of people are interested in that as well because maybe they don't have a connection to their direct family or their bloodline, but they do mm-hmm. and want to get into the culture though.
1: And I think we already do that. You know, you see things mm-hmm. like, um, oh gosh, like Prince when Prince died shrines were created for him and it's not because of anything other than people wanted to connect with his energy and that's exactly what an altar is um and so we maybe even unknowingly do this all the time and we have all of these ancestors that we want to connect with depending on the purpose yeah that um, we're utilizing uh, so his final one is pathkin mm-hmm. and that has more to do with like a spiritual path the the most easiest to think of is Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So like the entire Catholic church would be your path kin mm-hmm. if you were Catholic.
0: Working with uh, saints or something like that.
1: Exactly, yep, yeah. So I just really quickly wanted to make sure I got that in there because it's not just your your biological kin as your ancestor. It's um, it's a number of those who have lived on this planet who you could work with as an ancestor. And And, and there's some people define like a shrine versus an altar. Mm-hmm. But for just basic purposes, you know, create an altar and um, work with that energy, work with their spirit. Um, let's see. Oh, there's also animal companions. Uh, they are part of your soul group. Uh, the side note, not every animal is like a familiar. Mm-hmm. I think people are a little mixed up with that just because they have a cat. Yeah. doesn't That's your familiar.
0: Yeah, my cat uh, sure isn't a familiar, but he's a... <laughs>
1: pretty friendly though. But even when they cross over, they are part of your soul group. They picked you, you picked them. And what's wonderful about our animal companions is they're 100% unconditional love. Mm -hmm. You can certainly build an altar to them. I do recommend keeping their collar Mm -hmm. if they've crossed over. Even um, I have collected our dog's hair Mm -hmm. and I intend to uh, make yarn out of it. And it's not weird. It's not creepy. Um, you know, back in the Black Plague era, where Memento um, Mori was created, it was a reminder that we will all die.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Beautiful artwork was made out of human hair, and it was common and and it was elegant. Yeah, and it was a way to remember someone who we loved who
0: had died how we perceive death is very different and it's been a very quick change,
2: mm-hmm. um, especially
0: with the drop in the death rate and death rate for children and those who are ill have significantly dropped. So how we perceive and how often we see death has made death seem a lot scarier yes. um, than it really is. So necromancy in general, isn't this spooky, scary thing and essentially a lot of things you said I do very often, but it's we still have categorized it as necromancy.
3: Right.
0: Without knowing essentially just what it meant. Like if you, the mancy part, it sounds like with tea leaf reading and the, with the terms of uh, the tassiography or all the different things like that,
3: mm-hmm.
0: they they essentially have a definition, but then that first part of the name is just how you're using it.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. And you really hit a good point there about our feelings about death today. Back during the Black Plague, it was so common that it was, you know, again, people just carried memento mori. That was, it just was part of the culture. Today, we are so sterilized from death. You know, when someone dies, we like usher the children out of the room. You know, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to tell them what happened. And um, that's that's really causing a a lot of emotional problems because it's inevitable. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: We can't hide from it. And so I think it's healthy to have these conversations about, about death. Um, There's a quote, Andrew Pachalik. He has a website, peacefulmind.com and um, talking about like protection. And his quote is protection looks at our core feeling of fear, anxiety, and lack of security. Mm -hmm. that's how a lot of people feel about death if we can address that um, he also writes by giving this fear up to the universe to handle you're allowing yourself to release this fear strip away any kind of meaning or significance it may have upon you by letting go this allows us to move to the next level of our lives so protection always comes by letting go of fear and that can be said by so many things that the term necromancy comes about it's so many misconceptions again if you google it you're just not gonna. I, I actually would caution anyone from going to TikTok or a Google search, really, to be completely straightforward for any of this. you I, I just see um, misinformation left and right. And if somebody's throwing 15 things in a bottle and sealing it with wax, don't be surprised if it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. So, something like Necromancy, uh, again, I'm gonna recommend some books. for for your listeners. Mm -hmm. But um, I I really advise against just maybe onesie twosie looking something up that you can do when really the best thing is to, for this level, work on an ancestral altar. Really build that relationship
0: with any of those ancestors. Start from the bottom. Don't expect results immediately. And Because I've been trying to communicate in my own different ways. And with people who have passed in my life and I haven't had much results. So maybe diving more into when I have this space, I actually plan on having an ancestral altar in the house that I'm moving into next month. So I'm wondering well, what the difference will be when I have that dedicated space for it.
1: But you don't even need anything fancy. Yeah. I mean, and, and, I'll, and I don't, mine really is like on a bookshelf. Yeah. But it's a, it's a space that I've dedicated to their pictures, um, to the relics and it's just like any magical tool yep. you know witches of old when it was you would you know by by death if you were called a witch they were using kitchen tools mm-hmm. you know the wooden spoon and the cauldron and um you don't you really don't need anything fancy you don't have to go out and buy anything it's probably items you have in your home if you have pictures even if you don't have pictures you could certainly work
0: on Things they liked, maybe like flowers or right. image yeah. or something, my grandmother really liked lighthouses, so I would like have a lighthouse if I didn't have a photo there perfect.
1: perfect, right, and it's not uh it's just very simple. Let me put yeah. it that way: you don't have to work very hard, you don't have to have a lot of items. The most important thing is just pay attention to it every day, yeah, and you're building that relationship take notes. And yeah, um, so to that, to that, let's get to just protection mm-hmm. um, for mm-hmm. beginning to do that kind of work. But really most important is creating that sacred space. Yeah. And even if it's on a bookshelf like mine is, I may take down the picture, I'll create an energetic circle, which I know you've covered, mm-hmm. um, or one of the authors I'll recommend is Raymond Buckland. He talks about it as your energetic egg
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it's a shield, create that that sacred space um, and, and something of protection, even if it's as simple, Ah, even more simple than that. Sometimes I'll just sprinkle salt. Sometimes I'll do the full thing, like pulling all the elements.
0: Yeah. A lot of times Sometimes energetic- I'll just use a sage spray.
1: Yeah. Or I'll, I'll just light some incense. I'll sit yeah. in quiet meditation and I will mentally energetically create this barrier that extends from this white light coming into my body. And I just picture it moving outward. Yep purifying everything in its path until I feel like I'm in like it's it's feels right. It's right correct diameter. Um, but I'll already have the incense burning, I'll have the picture or, you know, whatever else I want to have in that sacred space. But let me also just give this oil. So there's this um protective oil, which you can put on if you go to cemeteries and, you know, you're a little concerned about anything. Mm finding you and attaching like it did with me mm-hmm. um again clean the vial with palo santo is my preference um and it's three pinches of sea salt four oh this is what it was four whole star anise
0: and you we go. that's what up. i was thinking yeah. of
1: yeah i do have a, an incense with star anise and that's a great protective um herb or spice um so four whole star anise but you break them up Mm-hmm. Six whole cloves, also broken up. If you have a mortar and pestle, even better, because then you don't have to like shove it in them, there. Kinda. Yeah. Uh, so you, it doesn't have to be powdered, but, you know, just kind of break them up into little chunks. And the rest you fill up with oil. I tend to use almond oil, um, but anything that's like a carrier oil. Yeah. Same thing. Infuse it with your own energy. You can put it in the moon or the sunlight. This is another one I wouldn't leave in sunlight directly for very long. Yep. And uh, yeah, you can just dab some on. Also, there are some good stones you can get to.
0: I generally, when I think of protective for stones, I'll use some of the dark ones like Jet, Hematite. Exactly. I have a Hematite ring on because I remember having a conversation with you one time and you said, yep. Hematite ring. And if it breaks, just get a new one or something.
1: Yeah. And I, I stopped getting them honestly because they broke so often. Uh, this one's truth- of lasting oh,
0: months. I'm surprised oh, it hasn't broken.
1: Um, well, I think I was also wearing it and doing a lot of like work and not shielding myself. True, <laughs> but sometimes, so it's made of. Um, I think it's iron ore, iron oxide, red iron oxide, which is sometimes it has like a red look to it in certain light. So it's really um, it fractures easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's brittle, and sometimes I honestly would just like whack my hand against a counter and, and it would just break it. Yeah. Um, I lift with life. it and it
0: hasn't broken. I am so surprised it hasn't just cracked at the gym.
1: <laughs> that's really good for grounding. Yeah. Um, and it absorbs and kind of dissolves unwanted energy and it prevents that energy from entering your, like, your mm-hmm. personal space. But you're right. Any of the dark or black ones, like black or brown turmaline, yep, those are really good. They're also grounding. They have a high vibration. They're really good for channeling work but they also absorb unwanted energy neutralize it um and these you can wear this on like a daily basis mm-hmm. it deflects unwanted energy so something like the tourmalines, our high priestess recommended this for me um i'll just carry them in my pocket so like mm-hmm. in my pocket sometimes but if you can get a necklace or even make a necklace to wear in the front
3: mm-hmm.
1: wear it in the back so string it so it hangs down your back mm. slits and anklets And I might even recommend like a pin you can wear in your hair, but um, that way you're kind of covered from all points. Mm -hmm. And so that's another way if you, if you have the means um, to do something like that, and and that's a really great physical protection of an energetic level. Obsidian, another really, really good one. Grounding, high energy. It's very strong protective. This actually can shield you against unwanted energy and psychic attacks. Mm It's actually what I have here. Removes unwanted spiritual influences. And there's a number of them. There's bloodstone, jet. When I would do distance energy work, mm-hmm. I would get massive headaches. Mm. And um, putting jet on my third eye would really help. It would it would really help with that.
0: Yeah, help ground it would, a little bit.
1: It would help ground. And I think it would just, if I put it on my third eye, which is where the, the work yeah. is, is really coming from, I think it just calmed that area, protects during spiritual journey, um, protects from unwanted entity entities, wear around the neck for protection, draws out unwanted energy and alleviates unreasonable fears. That's jet. Um, so that one, when I would do distance energy work, I would, I would put that on my third eye, and it really, really, I mean, noticeable difference. Yeah. And a lot of, with stones, it's subtle, you know, it's the energetic level. Yeah. So if you have a medical condition, I don't necessarily recommending like bloodstone to cure uh, a blood disease that you have. It may help on an energetic level, but Mm -hmm. definitely see your doctor. But from these psychic or unwanted energies, this can really help protect you in that realm. Again, shield yourself if you're doing meditation type work. um, I I strongly recommend building the sacred space. There's herbs also that can be used. We mentioned some for the oils and the incense. Um, That's probably a good podcast for like if you have a expert in herbology.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh even though necromancy isn't something to be like afraid of because a lot of us probably do it yeah. every day and we don't even realize it, we still need to be cautious. And that's something that I think why probably I wouldn't have perceived some of the things I do as necromancy because when I do my work and I feel like I am trying to connect with someone like specific or like just ask for positive things to come through and like not accepting negative things. I kind of have this thing that I say to myself or think to myself why well, I'm trying to like prime or charge my uh, pendulums or something. Or if I'm trying to not just use my uh, greater consciousness or more of a spirit concept. I feel like when I say spirit, I think about like psychics and mediums and stuff, but just whatever energy I'm working with. If I'm trying to target something specifically, I'm always really cautious because I never know something else would be coming through. So is this another reason why taking these extra small precautions, even if it's just having a crystal with you or using a protection oil or herb, just in case, because other things could come through and you say you do very feeling based. And so do I, I don't see what's actually coming through. So I'm cautious because I don't know if maybe something's new, if it's mistaken for something or if something is disguising as something, do you feel like that's something people should worry about, but not like fear it at the same time? Cause you don't want to be scared of it.
1: That's definitely next level kind of work. Yeah. Uh, And that's why I was just kind of keeping this high level because there are some, um, as you get further into this type of study, There are, you know, they talk about um, different portals and I, you know, I mentioned string theory um, and and people do have had, I have not, Mm -hmm. Um, but experiences where they have seen or felt something trying to come through.
0: Yeah, that wasn't Um, necessarily wanted.
1: Right. And they had to like quickly shut the the portal. Yeah. Um, But again, that's not really something I want to touch on for the sake of. Do some of those
0: books that you recommended already or might recommend later over those topics in case anyone's interested in that
1: yeah so why don't I go ahead and give you my like my top lists here I mentioned it earlier but Raymond Buckland Mm -hmm. has wonderful a lot of his books are just so easy to read and um I like him because at the end of each chapter he gives you uh questions to Mm -hmm. answer so you're not just reading a chapter, but then you have to go back and it really kind of grounds what you learned. So his is the book of spirit communications. It's also called like Bucky's big red book because it's red
0: book, not blue book, but red book, no, that's
1: which is, let's see, I have it. It's called a uh, like essential witchcraft or something. Uh, okay. Yeah. Buckland's big blue book is the. Please. Complete book, yeah. book of witchcraft, yeah. But he has a big red book, book of spirit communications, and he he does dive into a lot of that deeper levels. I would also recommend—I um, uh, don't have it in front of me—but anything on the Hermetic principles, okay? Because um, that really talks about the energetic side of a lot of this, which again for me is very important. Because um, I I'm just too science based. To, yeah. um, to To read some of these books and not have a reason to do this or that. I always um, try to or, make those
0: connections too.
1: So yeah, so the, the Hermetic Principles will really kind of ground the science of energetic work. Okay. Uh, so again, there's Christopher Pensack, The Mighty Dead, communicating with the ancestors of witchcraft. Another really great book. He does a lot more high magic, which isn't mm-hmm. to say... Better magic, but more involved. Um, what works for me is to keep it simple.
0: yeah, he would also, do say more ceremonial,
1: essentially, right,-, mm-hmm. um and a lot more, maybe tools involved or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just feel out, feel what's what works for you again, yeah. start small, start basic. The ancestral altars are a really great way to get comfortable mm-hmm. with doing that kind of work, you know, dipping your toe in the water, if you will. And then I mentioned um, Mallory Baudois, I think. She has Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration. Um, there's so many more. I would also recommend, it's another one by Penzac. It's The Witch's Shield. Okay. So anyone who's more concerned about protecting themselves, this is an awesome book with a bunch of different ways to um, shield yourself. Okay. From different experiences, or if you feel like like me, like maybe you picked up something, there are tips in here for how to deal with that. Like yeah, breakup.
0: in the past, I feel like I have picked up something when it was like early college and stuff, and that was a doozy. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's um, but but that's also the beauty of getting into um, sort of this energetic work is it doesn't have to be so much of a mystery. Yeah. and when you when you approach it, like I said, like you would. a a human person um introduce yourself get familiar with them build a relationship it becomes a trust Mm -hmm, and if there is something like that it becomes um a friend that you can really lean on on the other side yeah and you know they might know people over there uh, you know I, i i try to avoid getting too into all of that but it is a network, even even our animal companions, there's a, there's a whole network of um, spiritual connections from, again, think of it like just a mirror of mm-hmm. what we see and live every day. It's just the unseen realm. I think I kind of covered it for the books. There are so many more. Yeah. But um, this it's a really good place to start for anyone who's interested in getting into this. Um, and Penzach's book also has uh, some like exercises That you can do throughout. It's mostly like practicing a particular meditation or um, working on on something that you studied, whereas Bucky's is more like questions and answers. Yeah. So, you know, different different learning styles, different ways to, to get into this.
0: Okay. So uh, any last little tidbits on maybe not necessarily necromancy or any advice you would have anyone in the witchy or just magical sphere that you would think off off the top of your head, say you're meeting a new witch. What's one of the first few things you would say to them um, that would be essential you think that they would need?
1: Avoid TikTok. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the message of don't, today. Avoid TikTok and witch talk <laughs> specifically.
1: Don't Google a spell. Um. yeah, because, you know, you may not necessarily do harm, but you'll get frustrated. It's it's um a lot of misinformation that's out there. Yeah.
0: Or it's half-baked and then you don't yeah. have the sources and where it comes from. You could use it as like a basis, but please do your research. And that's one of the things I always like to say, is do your research, take it with a grain of salt until you can find more sources and more details. Right. Don't just find a picture on Pinterest or tiktok someone shows you a list of things and they throw it in but they don't really get into the nitty-gritty of why this is used what's being used how it's put together and pros and cons
1: you know even saying that i think is a little difficult because if we tell people to do their research but how like where do they get their resources so much is online that's why i wanted to recommend some actual books of reliable sources and even within those books they reference other books or they may have other books Mm -hmm. I feel very fortunate to have met my high priestess when and how I did. There used to be WitchVox that was an online community that yeah. you could even find uh, groups. So that no longer exists because that's, yeah, it's, it's um, not difficult. You know, now that I'm in this community, I kind of mm-hmm. see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. But that's also how I can tell what's authentic and, and what's just kind of playing around. Mm -hmm. so yeah I I don't I don't know if I'd have much more advice other than what not to do
0: (laughs) yeah take everything on the internet with a grain of salt until you find other sources to go off of essentially because sometimes people only have the internet for their source and that's where it gets kind of um hard if it's age they're at home or it's um finances and stuff but sometimes uh digital books are cheaper than hard copy books or you can order things and get like find a book that's like half blood prince version it already has all the notes in it so you can order things (laughs) online that has all the notes in it and someone just didn't want it anymore or they're getting rid of it for someone who may have passed so there's different ways you can find sources if you Mm -hmm. feel like or if whoever is using online as a source but maybe they are feeling that it it might be leading them into like dead ends or something or like giving bad information and it's Mm -hmm. just getting regurgitated and telephone and twisted so quickly. And that's the perks and the downside of the internet though.
1: Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good point because recommending books. Yeah. But, um, I know Penzac has a website. It's called the Copper Cauldron. Oh no, maybe that's his publisher. Um, but you could probably Google him. He's very active. Mm-hmm. And he does have online classes, but that's at cost yeah um but i I think I'm not that familiar with his website, but I do think there are some resources on there that people might be able to use, gosh, otherwise, yeah it's um I don't want to say it's difficult, but because it's become so popular
3: mm-hmm. I,
1: you know think of it like um spiritualism it's mm-hmm. gotten so popular that everybody out there is like creating a oh beginner witch kit yeah you
0: know you can buy all over Etsy all over eBay and
1: candle and some amethyst and you know a Palo Santo stick. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to discourage people from that. Um but you know like you say take it with a grain of salt and uh,
0: don't rush it. I say grain of salt and don't rush and don't be afraid of necromancy because you're probably doing it you don't realize it (laughs) but also you don't need
1: anything honestly you really don't need much and and people will try to sell you on so many things you have to have this tool you have to buy this oil and um to really get into this you don't Uh, especially for purposes of the ancestral altars
0: and more of Um, like folk practices versus like ceremonial which might have more usage and more steps um that are a little specific
1: yeah and these beliefs are all of them very earth-based you Mm -hmm. know you could even go for a walk through the woods and uh, meditate. Yep. And that right there is connecting you with spirit um, and, and with earth. And that in itself is is a, a practice that a lot of people could take to heart. And if you are interested in something like necromancy, doing that in a meditative mindset, it already opens you up to communicating with, mm-hmm. um, with the unseen realm. Receiving if information.
3: If we're, when yeah,
1: because again, we're surrounded by Wi-Fi and, and radio waves and all of these electronics that interfere with uh, our physical being, but also our energetic being. So if you can get away from that for, say that's you know, another can, tip
0: yeah. separate yourself from technology for a little bit.
1: And that's very healthy. I mean, even, even on a mental health um, level, it's very healthy to do that. So that could be another way to just try to, try to connect and not feel like you need so much and you have to do so much because it's not. It's very simple. We're all connected mm-hmm. and um, you, you really don't have to do a whole lot. But if you want to do spell work or you want to do necromancy, um, just keep in mind, it's, it doesn't have to be that complicated.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just like meeting a new person. So you want to be polite and you want to um, get to know them and uh, build that healthy relationship with whichever form of ancestry you choose to work with. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and I think by practicing that, doors will open for you. It just is kind of that, like you said, that law of attraction, just, um, you know, make sure that you really feel out the person before committing anything to them, um, to just for your own safety, um, spiritually and physically. And, yeah, don't um,
0: promise anything that you can't uphold either. Yeah, like, don't um, make some weird contracts Ener- energetic contract, essentially, because you don't want to do it with a deity. You wouldn't want to do it with an ancestor either.
3: That's right.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think if you are true to yourself and you take that personal time, then building an ancestral altar in the same way is is a really healthy way. To also, there's a lot about um, ancestral healing. Uh, you know, we have trauma that can be passed through our genetics. And building these altars is another way to, to make that, to heal that. Mm -hmm. And, and in that way, you know, you're also opening yourself up to more healthier opportunities in this world. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a reflection of the world we're in and you don't need a lot to do it, but, um, but just go into it, you know, with a happy, healthy heart, um, and commit to it. But, um, yeah, just, uh, Just know that they're there for you and they want you to be there for them. And that's really all it takes.
0: Okay. Well, I feel like that was a great introduction. And I feel like some of those little tangents too, like I always get onto rants and stuff, (laughs) help people think of different things. They're like, oh, I never thought of that before. Or... Like leads to other topics or other books, and it kind of develops into this crazy thesis of their own, and then they just roll with it. So I feel mm-hmm. like this is a lot of great information, and I appreciate this. Just you coming to help with the podcast, Saskia. So uh, thank yeah. you so much.
1: You're welcome. I really appreciate you asking me to to be a part of this. So hopefully, someone listening gleans some information, and um, I think there will fun. be. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, everybody, this is the end of today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new about necromancy. I know I did for sure. But if you have any questions, feel free to send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or email. And if you have any additional questions for her, I will forward those to her and see what she comes back with for us. And I know at the beginning of next week's episode, I think she's going to have just a little bit of additional content and information we didn't get a chance to add to this episode. So for episode 63, you will have just a little bit more about necromancy as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Blessed be.